Welcome to series of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me, Daniel Sun. Hello. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 132 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. So to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can click on the Patreon episodes tab, and there it will take you to the Patreon website where you can see our exclusive content and all 132 episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the mysterious M-Cave and Kenny Veach disappearance, which is about an individual named Kenny who found a mysterious cave in 2014 that had odd vibrations coming from it. He ended up going back to investigate it and suddenly disappeared. So you get access to that episode as well as all of the others for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoots, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever, whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is a Theories Thursday. Now, if this is your first time listening to us, or if this is your first time hearing a Theories Thursday, then let me explain to you what it is. Basically, me and Daniel each have selected our own topics, we have not told each other about them, and then we end up individually researching them, and then we bring them to the table here today, and we take turns talking about them. And that's what a Theories Thursday is. Pretty much. Yep. Now, the hardest part of this entire episode is figuring out who goes first. And there's only two of us, so it's always still a hard challenge for us to figure this shit out. <laughs> now, I know you mentioned that you maybe wanted me to go first this time. So last time I went first and mine went on, what, like 40 minutes? Yeah, that, that was with Patreon, right? Correct. Okay, yeah. I figured this time mine is not as long. That's what she said. So I figured you can go first because I believe yours is way longer than mine. All right. So with that being said, I guess I'll hop into my Theories Thursday topic. Hit me with it. I'm ready. All right, so my Theories Thursday topic is something that I've always heard about growing up, but I never really looked into it until this week. It is cursed movies. Now, when I say cursed movies, I don't mean movies that you watch and then you become cursed from watching them, like The Ring or whatever, you know, that movie you watch it and it's like, ah, seven days, now your floor is wet. <laughs> that bitch comes out all wet. You're like, God damn, I just mopped the floors. Damn. Anyways, it's, uh, it's not like that. It's about movies that have had a curse placed on them to where strange things happen during filming of it or after the filming of the movie. So it's not a movie about curses. No, it's just about movies that have been cursed to where people die on set or weird and strange things happen to people afterwards. There can't be that many. 
<laughs> you would be surprised. There's a shit ton? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. So I'm sure that you, Dan, right, you've heard of stories of actors and crews on movie set having tragic events happen to them either during or immediately following the movie's production, right? Like the stuntman being shot by Alec Baldwin. Jesus Christ. Yes, that's a great example. Okay. It wasn't a stuntman. It was a woman. And I'll actually talk about that towards the end. Oh, is that one of your... Well, no, it's just a notable, notable mention. Gotcha. So it is because of these tragic events that a lot of people tend to assume that, you know, that certain movie or movies are cursed. So, like I said, I started researching into this topic, making a list of the supposed cursed movies, looking at deaths, illnesses, strange things happening during the filming of it, all that good stuff. So I wanted to see if these movies were truly cursed or if it was just, you know, accidents that were overblown or maybe it was, you know, a way for them to promote the movie. As harsh as that is. That's pretty harsh, but I mean, it gains them attention. I mean, not a good way, but brings attention. So as I was going through those theories, I found some very odd ones that could actually be the reason why these curses are happening. However, before we get into those theories, I'm first going to go over some of the movies that are supposedly cursed. I'm ready to hear these because I honestly didn't think there were that many, but it seems like there's a ton of them. Oh, there's a lot. All right. So the first movie that we're going to talk about is Rosemary's Baby. Have you ever seen that movie? No. How old is it? Uh, it was released in 1968. Then probably not. Okay. All right. So it's a pretty old movie. It's a horror movie that was released in, like I said, 1968. And it is about a woman named Rosemary who gets impregnated by Satan. And she ends up giving birth to the little demon baby. And that's pretty much a summary of the movie. It's a short summary, but that's pretty much what it's about. You get the gist of it. Yeah. So a lot of individuals who helped create this film went on to experience a lot of weird things happen to them. For an example, Krzysztof Komita, who was a Polish music composer who ended up making music for this film, he ended up having some weird things happen to him. So six months after the film's release, in December of 1968, Krzysztof was at a party, and the party was on a hillside, and he was accidentally pushed off the edge of the cliff. Now, the fall itself didn't immediately kill him, but he ended up developing a cerebral hematoma and was in a coma until April of 1969 when he ended up finally passing away. What's a hematoma again? It's when your brain bleeds and then it creates like a pool of blood in your brain and then it clots up. So it's basically like a big blood clot. And it's not specifically to the brain. That's what a hematoma is. It's basically like a big pool of blood that turns into a blood clot. All right, so this was a cerebral run, so it was pretty much in his brain, putting pressure on his brain then, right? Yeah, so when he fell off the cliff, he hit his head, brain bleed, ended up being put into a coma, and then died in April. Now, whenever he passed away, the producer of Rosemary's Baby, William Castle, ended up having some issues to where he had to go to the hospital because he had some kidney stones. Which, I mean, that's not a big deal. But he was quoted saying that when he went to the hospital, he ended up having multiple hallucinations about the film, but he ended up quickly recovering from the hallucinations and the kidney stones. I just thought I should mention that because he does state something else later on that's very weird. Okay. 
So the next person we're going to talk about is the person who, quote unquote, accidentally pushed Khrushchev off the cliff. That person is Merrick Holosko. Now, Merrick was not charged with the death of Kristoff because he said the two were just playing around, you know, playing grab ass, just wrestling. And he pushed them, you know, just in a friendly manner. And Kristoff ended up falling off the cliff. But two months after Kristoff passed away, Merrick ended up dying as well. However, he ended up passing away in Germany and no one really knows how he died. But there is some speculation that he died from mixing alcohol with certain drugs, and that's how he died. So a few months after that, so this is like a timeline of people dying. A few months after that, in August of 1969, the director of Rosemary's Baby, Roman Polanski, his pregnant wife, Sharon Tate, was murdered by the members of the Manson family. And then, in 1977, Roman was arrested and charged with drugging and raping a 13-year-old girl. The following year, in 1978, he ended up fleeing the United States and went to Paris. Now, two years later, in 1980, the apartment complex in New York City, where some of the filming took place at for the movie, Beatles member John Lennon was fatally shot at the archway of that apartment building. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of weird things. Uh, there was something else that's worth mentioning, is that producer William Castle, who had the kidney stones, well, he ended up writing a book, and in this book, he said that a lot of the cast and crew members were being stalked by witches after the movie was released. So yeah, I just thought that was worth mentioning, and that right there is our first supposed cursed movie. That's a lot of shit happening to the people that were involved in it, especially the last guy. Well, not the kidney stone guy, the, was it Roman? Yeah, well, he's a piece of shit, though, so anyway. So let's get into our next supposed cursed movie, which is the 1976 film, The Omen. Okay, that one I have seen. So The Omen is pretty similar to Rosemary's Baby. It is a horror film about a woman who gives birth to a baby, except this baby ends up being the Antichrist. So it's kind of similar. Anyways, so one of the main characters in the movie is the father, Robert Thorne who is played by actor Gregory Peck. Well, right before the filming of the movie started, Gregory's son ended up committing suicide. Then, in October of 1975, right when filming started, Gregory was flying on a plane to London, and his plane was struck by lightning. Then, the executive producer for the film, Mace Newfield, also had his plane struck by lightning. Following that, Mace's hotel that he was staying at, who was the producer of the film, it ended up being bombed by the IRA. So following that, they ended up going to Rome to finish the filming of the movie, and producer Harvey Benhard had lightning strike right next to him. Then following that, a plane that they were going to use for aerial filming but decided not to ended up taking off with everyone on board, crashed, and everyone died. After that, there was an animal trainer on set who was killed by a tiger. And to wrap it all up, the cast and crew of the movie was planning on having dinner together at a restaurant, but right before they arrived, it was bombed. So yeah, there you go. That's the second supposed cursed movie. Sounds like some higher power was like, hey, you shouldn't have made this movie. Yeah, we get into that during theories. 
All right, so let's get into our next supposed cursed movie, which is The Exorcist. So, of course, it was released in 1973. It is a horror movie that is about a 12-year-old girl who is demonically possessed. Now, during the filming of this movie, there were a lot of deaths. For an example, actor Max Vaughn, who played a Catholic priest, during the filming of the movie, his grandfather died. Then actor Jason Miller, who also played a priest, his mother died during the filming of the movie. Then actress Linda Blair, who played the demonically possessed girl, her grandfather passed away during the filming of the movie. Actress Veliski Miliaros, who played a mother of the Catholic priest in the movie, uh, before the movie was released, she ended up passing away. Actor Jack McGowan, who played the character Burke Dennings in the movie, he ended up dying before the film was released also. And, I mean, there's a lot more deaths afterwards. As you can see, I mean, that's pretty much the reason why the people think this movie's cursed. All these deaths of these individuals that took part in it. And a little knowledge nugget about this movie, following the release of it, there was also a lot more problems. A woman who went to watch the film somehow broke her jaw during it. I have no idea how, but she ended up suing Warner Brothers, and the case was settled out of court. The movie was also banned for some time in the UK, and an American evangelist believed that if you run the film through a projector, that it would bring out demons, like it would summon demons. So whenever they were showing this film, you had all these people saying all this stuff. So the woman that broke her jaw, so they actually gave her money. We don't know because it was settled at a court, but if it's settled at a court, you can pretty much guarantee she was given some money or something. How do you break your jaw watching a movie? Did she scream probably and just... I don't know. Let's see. Exorcist movie, broken jaw. Because I mean, it kind of reminds me of like the McDonald's coffee incident. Oh, 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 oh. An audience member who saw the movie in 1974 during its original release fainted and bro oh, it wasn't a girl, it was a guy, fainted and broke his jaw on the seat in front of him. He then sued Warner Brothers and the filmmakers, claiming that the use of subliminal imagery in the film had caused him to pass out. Oh, wait, hold on. So here on IMDb, it says it's a guy. It says he. And then in other websites, it says her jaw. A woman broke her jaw. All right, so someone ended up fainting and broke their jaw. Yeah, someone did. So let's get on to the next supposed cursed movie, which is The Poltergeist. Now, when I say The Poltergeist, I'm talking about the 1982 film, not The Poltergeist that was released in 2015. That movie, I walked out of. I literally walked out of the movie because of how bad it was. I don't even think I've seen the, that newer well, one. If you're looking for a great movie, as in the movie sucks so bad it brings entertainment value to you, watch the 2015 Poltergeist. That's how I felt about Pink Panther. <laughs> I've never seen Pink Panther. I bought tickets, and within like the first 15 minutes, I walked out of it. I'll note that down to watch Pink Panther later. Anyways, all right, so The Poltergeist is a movie about a family whose home is invaded by ghosts, and these ghosts end up abducting the youngest daughter of the family and pretty much take her into another realm. And then she's on the TV. Help me. All right, so only a few weeks after the release of this movie, actress Dominique Dunn, who played the role of the big sister, she was strangled to death by her boyfriend. 
And then actor Lou Perryman, who was also in the film, he ended up going back home to Austin, Texas, and was killed by an axe-wielding ex-convict. Now, the uh, child actress Heather O'Rourke, who played the little girl, well, she ended up dying from shock that was caused by a blood infection related to a birth defect that made a section of her lower intestine abnormally narrow. But I do want to say that I am aware that there's like multiple theories about Heather and Steven Spielberg, and people think that maybe Steven Spielberg had a hand in her murder. It's a whole long theory that has a lot of revolving parts in it. I'm not going to get into it, but I just want to say that I'm aware of it, and we're going to talk about it in a later episode, okay? But I did want to mention something else that happened on the set of Poltergeist involving Steven Spielberg. So in the movie, The Poltergeist, the mother is dragged into her family's swimming pool by a supernatural force identified as the Beast. Now, she ends up escaping to rescue her children, but not without being confronted by skeletons of people, unbeknownst to her and her family, who were still buried in the ground underneath her home. So, like, these skeletons came out and were like, Bleh. Now, why do I mention this? Those skeletons, you would think they were props, right? You would assume they were props. I'd hope they'd be props. They were not props. They were real skeletons, and Steven Spielberg was the one who was like, let's get these real skeletons and not tell the actors. So in December of 2002, the actress who played the mother, she ended up giving an interview in which she said, and I quote, I would have to go into this huge tank of what I thought was mud with these skeletons, which I thought were plastic but later found out that they were real skeletons. Now, you have to understand that this filming sequence took probably four to five days to shoot. So I was in the mud and goop all day, every day, for four to five days with these skeletons all around me that I assumed were not real skeletons. And then I found out, as did the whole crew, that they were using real skeletons because it was far too expensive to make fake skeletons out of rubber. And that's what she was quoted saying. So I decided to dig into it a little more, because a lot of people assume that she was making this up. But one of the film's assistant prop masters, Bruce Casson, who worked on the film, he said, and I quote, The skeletons came from Carolina Biological, a medical and science supply company that sold human skeletons mainly for the use in medical schools back in the 1980s. However, they took them and used them for a film. So it was cheaper to buy real skeletons than fake ones. I want to say that's crazy to think about, but then again, I remember going back to, I think it was one of your topics, Theory Thursday topics, where people that donate their bodies and then people take them and buy them and then sell off the parts and stuff. That was a crazy episode. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of what could have happened, is that sadly they bought human remains for cheap and after they were done with it they sold it off again yep it's crazy man all right so i'm going to get into some notable mentions of some other cursed movies and then i'm going to hop into theories all right all right so another supposed cursed movie is the twilight zone the movie not the tv show twilight zone now the reason they think it's cursed is because in 1982 when they were filming it actor vic morrow and two child actors, I think we're like seven and five or somewhere around there. 
they went with Vic Morrow and they were filming and all three of them were killed whenever a special effects explosion caused a helicopter nearby to lose control and crash into the ground, of course, crashing into Vic and the two kids, killing them instantly. Um, The director of the movie and the four other crew members were charged with manslaughter. However, they were all acquitted. So that is the reason why people think The Twilight Zone, the movie, is cursed. Another supposed cursed movie is the 2004 film Passion of the Christ. That one's cursed? Supposedly, and I can kind of see why. So during the filming of the movie, during the part where Jesus gives his sermon, uh, the actor playing Jesus and the assistant director were both struck by lightning, both of them. Following that, they were filming at another location in Italy, and the assistant director was holding an umbrella and was struck by lightning again. So it was storming, and he decided to hold an umbrella. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I think you deserve that one. Oh, my God. So another notable mention is the Wizard of Oz movie. I know you mentioned this a few uh, days ago. Yeah. This one, this is a popular one. Yeah. So the actress Judy Garland, who played Dorothy in the film, ended up becoming extremely famous due to her role in the movie. Like, as soon as the movie was released, everybody was like, oh, my God, look at this actress. She's so good, blah, 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 blah. However... Years after the movie was released, her personal life took a dramatic hit. She went through four divorces, financial instability, addiction struggles, and then ended up passing away from an overdose at the age of 47. Damn, okay. You saying damn all the four divorces? Damned all of it. My thing is, four divorces, I mean, back then, wasn't divorce considered, like, taboo? I guess so, yeah. Mm. All right. I mean, that's where, definitely where the financial instability comes from is all those divorces and by the way did you know she was only four foot eleven no way yeah she was only four foot eleven i did not know that she looked taller she did anyways uh so the problems for the wizard of oz cast did not stop with judy it ended up going throughout the entire cast for an example four months after the movie was released frank morgan who played the wizard he was involved in a serious car accident Now, during the accident, he wasn't really harmed, but his wife, Alma, suffered a knee injury that ended up plaguing her for the rest of her life. And then Morgan ended up dying in 1949. And then actor Charlie Grapewin, who played Uncle Henry, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce any of these names, by the way. So he played Uncle Henry in the movie. He ended up passing away in 1956, just before the film debuted on television. And then Clara, who played Auntie M, ended up committing suicide. And then several actors who were playing the flying monkeys in the film, they ended up accidentally breaking wires that were holding them up, and all of them crashed down onto set. But there was a net that kind of caught them, so they didn't really get injured that bad. Oh, I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, The actress playing the Wicked Witch of the West She was badly burned while filming a scene in which she explodes into flames. So she ended up taking time off to recover from that scene. They decided to reshoot it and have a stand-in to kind of like replicate the stunt. The stand-in was burned the exact same way as her. It's like, oh, we'll just replace the person. It'll go fine this time. Maybe it was the whole setup. (laughs) Yeah, so that was just a few of the things that happened on The Wizard of Oz. I know some people talk about a person hanging themselves on set. So this theory 
you know, started making its rounds. And the studio ended up releasing an official statement saying, hey, nobody hung themselves. It's a shadow that's being cast by a large crane that was hired by Fleming along with many other animals from Los Angeles Zoo in an attempt to make the forest seem alive. The trio that whenever they began skipping down the road, the crane got startled, undid its wings, and then casted a shadow in the background. Uh. Yeah, but what makes people kind of be like, eh, is that they ended up re-releasing the movie for its 50th anniversary in 1989. And they altered the footage, and the bird appears to be in a different place where it first appeared. So pretty much they changed it so people would probably stop thinking that, and then made it just more suspicious then. Yeah. Something else is that the producer, Melvin Leroy, for the movie said that the actors, and I quote, had orgies in the hotel, and we had to have police on every floor alleging that many of the munchkins that were in the film groped a lot of the women and were drunks who got smashed up every night. And the police, oh my God, this is so bad. The police had to scoop them up in butterfly nets. So yeah, something else to add to this is that in May of 2018, the last surviving actor to play a munchkin in the film passed away at the age of 97. And he's been often quoted saying that, hey, the munchkins alleged bad behavior had been overstated. It was a pretty much a combination of them being excited to have work and be around other little people. I can kind of see that, you know? So that's the Wizard of Oz, okay? All right, so they say it was a crane. A munchkin didn't actually hang himself. No, it was like a bird that they hired from the Los Angeles Zoo that was cast in a shadow. Okay. Yeah, the only thing that's weird is why would they alter the footage in the re-release? Exactly. Just makes it suspicious. Maybe they wanted to get people talking about it, though, so they purchased the new re-released 50th anniversary. Anyways, so the last film that I wanted to talk about real quick before we get into theories is the 1956 film called The Conqueror. Now, when people talk about cursed films, they often reference this one. However, I can clearly say that this one's not cursed, but I will tell you why they think it's cursed. So this movie, The Conqueror, was made in 1956, and it starred John Wayne playing the role of Genghis Khan, which is very weird. Like, why would you hire a cowboy actor to play Genghis Khan? But whatever. I never knew he played a part like that. I thought he was just mostly Westerns. Yeah, me too. I didn't even know this movie existed. Anyway, so following the release of the movie, 91 of the 220 cast and crew members ended up developing cancer and 46 of them died from it. And a lot of people say that that's a curse, but that's not the case here. So the filming of the movie took place near the city of St. George in southwestern Utah. This city sits downwind from the Nevada test site, which from 1951 to 1962, the United States, of course, tested multiple nuclear bombs there above ground, not below ground, above ground. So you had all these radioactive isotopes going up into the air. Then all of a sudden when it would rain or doesn't even have to rain, they'd come, you know, falling down like invisible little snowflakes. And then you'd inhale them or maybe they fall on your sandwich and you eat them. Unaware that you're just picking up radioactive fallout, which that right there seems like a clear reason as to why all of them developed cancer, right? 
Yeah. It, it makes sense. But the United States government came out and stated that the film crew, their exposure to the fallout was not the cause of the cancer. That the number of cancers that developed in the cast and crew was in line with the average among adults in the United States. It's, it's not even the average, though. It's half, pretty much half of the cast and crew members developed cancer. You don't have half of everybody developing cancer. Let's see the rates of cancer. Rates of people who develop cancer in the United States. All right. So 91 out of 220 makes it 41% of the cast and crew members developed cancer. Okay. The cancer.gov states that approximately 39.9% of men and women will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their life. It's pretty much 40%. And that's what they're saying. But my thing is, it's a group of them that all film together near an area where there was active fallout continuing to just snow upon them. It just seems like it's in the allowable range of how many people in the United States get cancer. They're just like, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. They don't want to have the blame put on them. Yeah. Anyways. All right. So let's get into theories. All right. So the first theory that I have is that these films are not cursed at all, that the deaths are just coincidences and accidents. And to back this theory up, I have some stats. So since 1990, there have been 43 fatalities on American film shoots and another 150 actors or crew members left with life-altering injuries during filming. So pretty much to sum up this theory, we know that movies often have large crew and casts and that filming spans for many months, right? It is expected that deaths and accidents will occasionally occur particularly if some of the production staff and crew or their relatives are middle-aged or elderly. I can kind of see that. I mean, yeah, I can kind of see Because if, if you think about it, since we started the podcast three years ago, how many of our relatives have passed away? Both of my grandfathers have passed away. My father passed away. Yeah, so we've had some family deaths. Maybe this podcast is cursed. No. I'm just kidding. All right. So the next theory I have is similar to the previous one, except it is called time pressure. Now, before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. So we know that movies cost a lot of money to make and that the filming is scheduled on certain days and they can't go over because it'll cost them more money. 
Due to this, there is an extreme amount of time pressure that is placed on the cast and crew, which leads them to cut corners. And they don't make safety a priority, which ultimately leads to death or accidents. I can definitely see that one. Not saying that's exactly what it is, but it is a big thing with time pressure. Yeah. People like, oh, we, we have to get it done on this day. What can we do to get it done? We start cutting corners, taking shortcuts. Safety literally just gets thrown out, even though we're all about safety. It gets thrown out because it needs to get done. Yep. So the third theory, which is my favorite, Dan, is called collective resentment. Now, let's assume that there really are curses being placed upon these films. So that leads us to the question, who or what is doing the cursing and how does it work? So that made me think. A lot of these supposed curses happened to movies that are, you know, scary ones involving religion of sorts, right? What if, whenever these movies are put into production, Sometimes you'll read in the newspaper, oh, this movie began filming, you know, The Exorcist or whatever, or Rosemary's Baby, you know, people read the newspaper back then. They say, oh, okay, that movie started filming. What if these people, whenever they read the newspaper, they see it and they're like, oh, man, I'm really religious. I don't think they should be filming a movie like this. And they end up unknowingly placing a curse upon it by a process of unconsciously manifesting psychokinetic or telepathic bad influence onto the film and anyone involved in it due to this collective resentment. So pretty much all these people who are like, oh, I don't think they should film that movie. It's against my religious beliefs or I don't like that they're talking about this. You know, they subconsciously manifest that negativity. Everybody in the well, not everybody, but everybody in the United States or a lot of people in the United States read the newspaper, see that. A lot of them think the same thing. It manifests this energy. This energy then gets placed onto this movie set, which then creates bad energy for it. I can see that because I'm a huge believer in manifestations. These movies, they're all dealing with something evil or talking about something evil or something evil happening. I believe in manifestation. That the fact that they're making these movies and unfortunately, them doing this, going through the processes of it and all that, they are probably manifesting something. Manifesting it on themselves is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. And they're unknowingly doing this because, you know, they're just there to make a movie. But they're going through the processes of it. They're reenacting exorcisms or someone being a demon and all that stuff. It's like using a Ouija board or going to the mirror and trying to summon Satan or something like that. It, you're manifesting. You're opening up even just a small little portal just doing so. And that just allows some evil entity to come out and then just starts, I'm not going to say cursing, but say like bad luck on you. The where things just keep going downhill. Severity of it is probably the part that you play in the movie. I like that theory, Dan. I like that. It sucks because, I mean, some of those scary movies are amazing, but then you hear all this stuff that happens in the background of it. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it is. Um. I got two more short ones. Of course, you mentioned one of those earlier. Maybe it's some higher intelligent being, a.k.a. maybe it's a god. God, creator, simulation controller. Whomever, you know, who places these curses upon the people doing the movie. Or it's promotion for the movie. Let's say that these movie companies want to get publicity 
So they take advantage of accidents or deaths and paint a picture around it. Because if you think all of these are scary movies, and then you think of curses, and then these people are like, what's a good way to promote it? Oh, the movie was so bad during filming. All these people died. It's cursed. You cannot see it. And then people are like, oh, I got to see the movie now, you know? So it's a way for the companies to promote it. So I think it may be, if I, if I had to pick a theory, my personal thought would be, it would be the people placing this manifestation upon themselves, like you mentioned, in the movie companies taking advantage of these accidents and tragedies and using it to promote their films. See, now that you mentioned that, I saw a clip. It was like a, I think it was like House, the show House with the doctor and all that. They had an actor in there and he was like severely sick. His publicist decided it's like instead of going with the sickness that he actually had, started, you know, making posts and stuff of him supposedly having cancer. Gets him publicity and makes people feel sorry for him, to which then it helps promote whatever he was doing. Which when you said that, that kind of clicked that maybe the, you know, company took advantage of these accidents or whatever and decided to hype them up more. So these accidents, yes, some people died and all that. Not saying that they didn't. But they end up going with a route that makes it even crazier to hype it up, to promote it, like you said, to make the movie more desirable to watch. I mean, like you said, it's a good way to promote sad taking advantage of unfortunate events. Yeah. So, yeah, manifestation with the company taking advantage and promoting probably. I could definitely see that. Yeah. All right. So there you go. That's my theories Thursday. And I, I, I know I mentioned Rust, but. I mean, there's not much. You, you pretty much know the movie Rust, right, that you mentioned. Baldwin shooting the yeah. girl on set. All is pretty much they gave him a prop that was supposedly wasn't a prop. Bloom shot the girl on accident, supposedly. But there are theories that he offed her. But, yeah, that's my theories Thursday, okay? <laughs> he offed her. <laughs> <laughs> that's my theories Thursday, cursed movies. I hope you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. I, when I saw you have it on the list saying, like, cursed movies, I'm just like, we don't talk about like horror movies or something like that, but I didn't know there were so many accidents or deaths involving these movies that honestly no one really knows about. I mean, I didn't know, but there's a lot more that I didn't get to. That's crazy. Yep. Anyways. All right, Dan, I'm interested to hear what your theories Thursday topic is. So for my theories Thursday, I decided to go with a weird tribe that were native to Libya and Ethiopia. This tribe was an interesting one in the fact that they were described in multiple historical documents. They were involved in like Roman history, which they supposedly tried to force their way through like thieves and all that. And of course, Alexander the Great ended up stopping them. There's stories like that that were written in historical documents involving this tribe. Before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one. So don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. Which leads me to ask you, Aaron, have you heard of the, the Blimmies? No, I have not. All right, I'll say another name. The Headless Tribe. Never heard of them. All right. I've never heard of this tribe itself, but when I looked at it, in my mind, it clicked like I've seen this before. And like I said, I've never heard of this tribe, but it fascinated me. Then it reminded me of Legend of Zelda, Majora's Mask. And like, if anybody knows me, knows I love Legend of Zelda stuff. I love the games. It's a great game. It is. But in Majora's Mask, there's four giants. And they're headless. Now, you say headless, how do they see, breathe, smell, hear? Well, these headless tribe people had a very unique physical characteristic 
feature that they had no head. But instead of having like a neck with a head, their mouth, nose, eyes were all located on their torso. <laughs> so okay. look at me, Aaron. Eyes here. Eyes where your nipples are at. And then pretty much the mouth where the belly button would be. Okay, so eyes on your nipples, nose on your... Sternum. Sternum. Is that a sternum? Yeah. Nose on your sternum, and then mouth on the belly button. Correct. Okay. Interesting. And some of them, their beards. Oh. Their pubes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, did the women have big old googly eyes? You know, I honestly, looking through the pictures, I have not seen what would be described as female. Okay. Which okay. is weird. Now... The headless tribe, they ranged from like six to eight to even 12 feet tall. You know, some of them were actually like giants, not extreme giants, but giants. And they were about half as wide. So say if they're like 12 feet tall, they're like six feet wide. Oh, Jesus Christ. I thought you meant like half as wide as a normal human, like very tall and skinny. But no, you mean like they were half their height, tall and, and wide and thick. They were thick boys. Okay. Now. I do have a couple pictures, which I'll put on the document here so you can see Aaron. And we'll have these images on our website. You can just go to theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can click on today's episode, and there will be the pictures right there for you to take a look at. You can look at these big old thick boys. All right, so you attach three pictures. What is this first one? What is that on, like a tent or like a teepee? What is that? It looks like it's on some type of... I'm not going to say paper, but cloth-like material. Almost like leather, kind of. <laughs> it looks like a Mr. Potato Head. That's what they look like. It kind of does. Like, the top of their head is right where their shoulders start, and it just, like, goes out to arms. And then, of course, you see in the middle, like, you see their eyes and the nose. And it, literally, they have no neck that leads up to a normal head. Yeah, it's all missing. It's like everything is in the chest. So that's the first photograph. It's um looks like two of these beings attacking each other with like a stick or something. One looks like he's wearing a club. The other one, I don't know what he's, I don't even know if he has a weapon, but I guess you can see his two hands in front of him, but he looks like he's maybe holding something. Probably yeah. his arm looking like he's hurt. I don't know. Then the next photograph you have is one of these beings sitting down on a hill and just kind of like pointing over. Yeah. yeah kind of pointing saying, hey, what's up, dog? <laughs> He's like, you see that over there? But yeah, like, as you can tell again, they look pretty tall, no neck, no head. Their face is literally on their torso. Okay. And then this third photograph is of, looks like two of them, two of these beings, one holding a bow and arrow, the other one holding a bow and arrow as well. Uh, you got the back of one facing towards us, and then the other one is facing towards us, and then. In the background, you can see that multiple other ones are, like, fighting or playing or some shit, and they're, like, in a little village area. My thing is, you see the thing that's underneath this first one uh, in this photograph right here? It kind of looks like a cloth covering where the nipples would be. Is that a woman one? Possibly. Because I was thinking, like, that one has a feminine figure. Yeah, she's got some wide hips on her, which are uh, a good indicator of a good birthing hips. That's what they say. Yeah. yeah, back in the day, the people used to look for women with wide hips to give birth to the babies. Anyway, uh, the other one in this photograph that has its back standing towards us has long hair and just a cloth just ever so gently draped upon its booty. Yeah. And like, if you see where the, like the hair, it pretty much starts at like the top where the neck should be and it goes down its back. 
Man, I, I do got to say, these things are freaking ugly, man. They're very interesting. Interesting? I think they're freaking ugly. When I first saw them, they kind of reminded me of what uh, Humpty Dumpty looked like. <laughs> My God, they do. But yeah, so those are the three photos I have just so you can get an idea of what they look like and all that. Which I do have a photo of the Legend of Zelda game that I mentioned to where it's reminded me of them. And literally, it, it looks exactly like them, except they don't have much of a hips or anything. They just go straight to legs from their head. Yeah, they do look very similar. So yeah, that's an idea of what they look like. Now, historical mentions of them. The very first mention of these beings was back in the time of Herodotus. And it was in a book that he took part in or wrote called Histories where he refers to them as a kephali. What does that mean? Which basically means without a head. Now, this tribe of headless men were supposedly named after their king, King Blimmies. I've only seen a couple mentions of that, but there's really no proof of any king or anything like that. So I don't know how factual that is. Now, what'd you find over there? Because you found something and you're laughing. I found a picture that I'm going to send to you. Actually, I found three photographs I'm going to send you of these Blimmies. So, of course, I'll have these on our website for anyone to take a look at. The first photograph is kind of like an artist interpretation of a modern-day Blimmy, which is kind of scary looking. That is kind of scary looking. Like, I think they made the face a little too small, but... Thing is jacked, though. Look at its arms. He's been working out. All right. The next one is a Blimmy of Nicolas Cage. See, that seems more realistic. And the last Blimmy is my favorite one. This one right here. Looks like he just ate something sour. Yeah. So there you go. I found those photographs. I'll attach them to our website. Excellent artist renditions of modern day blimmies. I mean, the last one actually looks pretty good, though. Yeah. All right. Anyways, so let's continue back to the history of mentions of these beings. All right. So that right there, Herodotus was the first one to mention these beings. The uh, Kephali is what he called them without a head. But like I said, in many medieval sources of these tribes, they ranged from 6 to 12 feet in height. But it was also stated that these headless tribesmen were cannibals, which any other time it was never mentioned that they ate anybody after they killed them or anything like that. It was just they said they were supposed to cannibals, though. Then back in 43 AD, a Roman geographer named Mila was the one that actually started calling this tribe of people the Blime of Africa, as they were headless with their face buried in their chest. Then, of course, during the time of Alexander the Great, he referred to them as golden-colored headless tribe, but they were only around six feet tall. They had beards that reached to their knees. Now, when you say beard that reaches down to their knees, you figure that's a long beard. I automatically think of Vikings. Yeah, you think of Vikings. But I was just thinking, like, since their face is, like, on their torso, their beards are down below their bellies and it goes down to their knees. So, I mean, pretty long still, but not as long as... It being on your chin going down. Their bush is the biggest. Their bush is the biggest. Now, during this encounter with the Blime that Alexander the Great had, they ended up going into battle. Hold on, wait. They fought these people? All right. So in a book that was written in Greek that was translated from Latin, then into French, which was supposedly called like the Historia de Prelilis, it was translated to French, and the French version stated that Alexander had captured 30 of these Blimeys to show the rest of the world what he had encountered after he had battled with them because they were moving south into like the Roman territory and they were actually trying to take over or whatever. And Alexander ended up meeting them in a battle pursuit. 
I've never heard of that before. I've never heard of that. And I mean, there's drawings and stuff of it, which I have one right here. So I have a lot of photos for this. I love it. I love photographs. I'm a visual learner, Dan. So yeah, there's like a painting or drawing or whatever, which I don't, I didn't find anywhere in history, like I said, of Alexander actually fighting these other than supposedly in this book that was translated. But this drawing right here came from the London British Library. Oh. So they have this there. So obviously something must have happened with these. God dang, look at the size of their bush, dude. It's like a beard. I told you. Good like, Lord, it, it drags the ground. So, it, I mean, it could be their pubes or there could be their beard. I have no idea, but I guess it's probably both in this situation. Good for them. But moving forward, past Alexander the Great, 1211 AD, there was an explorer by the name of Fermis to have met a tribe of men without heads, who instead have their eyes and mouth on their chests, living on an island in Ethiopia, and he said that they were about 12 feet tall. Now, a hundred years after that, Sir John Mandeville, an English author, he made a claim that he too had seen these headless men. He did not refer to them as the Blemes. He actually described them as folk of foul stature and of cursed kind that have no heads, and their eyes be in their shoulders. Okay. These ones, though, they were no longer located in like Ethiopia, Libya area. These ones were located on an island in Asia. Yeah, so now that either they migrated or these are like another tribe of them. They're all over the place. God dang, dude. But it doesn't stop there, though. There are maps that were drawn way back that appeared to actually show the location of these tribes of headless men. Like one map, Andrea Bianco, that was made in 1436, depicted that they were located in India now. What the hell? Where? Yeah. They keep on moving, huh? They like to travel. Little nomads. They do. And of course, I do have a picture of that map, which that's the map that was drawn by Andrea Bianco. And if you look, this one, it's kind of like selected where it's at on the map. And you look down at the bottom right and it shows you a picture of what it is. Oh, my God. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's not a good drawing, but it shows that this being, its face is on their torso. There is no neck. Yeah, you're right. Which, that wasn't the only map. Oh, there's another one. So there's been other maps, like the one that was made in 1448 by Andreas Walsbergers, who continue to show the location of them being in Ethiopia, though, which I couldn't find a very good image of that one to where it's selected on the map where it shows. But if you look it up, like you'll be able to find, you know, pictures of this map still. Now, the stories of these headless people continued on even into the 16th and 17th century, where another explorer by the name of Sir Walter Raleigh provides an account of creatures that resembled the Blemes. Yet he called them the Iwe Panoma. They are described as exactly the same, but these ones had long hair growing between their shoulder blades down their back. Instead of like, I guess, being at the very top, it starts like in the middle of their shoulder blades and go down. Okay. It's odd. It's very odd. Now, this one is questionable, though, because he said that he did not see them in Africa or Asia, but they were spotted in South America. So I'm like, okay, maybe he saw them in South America. No, he never saw them himself. He wrote about them and he based these claims from accounts given to him which he said to be reliable and true. 
Then you got the Ottoman admiral and cartographer Piri Race, who also suggested that they were located in South America, closer to Brazil on his world map that was published in 1513, which he states on the map that these wild beasts attain a length of seven spans, which is a lot shorter than what everyone else describes them at, because seven spans is, from what they say, is five feet, three inches tall. So they weren't really tall. And like I said, he had a map that was published in 1513, which I have part of that map with where the Blemaze was located on. All right, well, let's go hunt him down. Let's go take a plane. I mean, I could be down for that. All right, then. But yeah, so here's the picture of the map. Like you see the ship in the water, the land, and what is that thing? <laughs> That's crouching. It looks like it's got a fire on its head. It really does, and it looks like it has a black beard that goes from its armpits around its belly and up to the other armpit. Okay. Hmm. Is that Moloch to the right of him as a statue? I have no idea. But yeah, so, but there were a couple more maps after this that they weren't really named or anything, but those maps did have locations of where these beings were. But as time went on, their characteristics started to change. They actually like grew a head, but no neck. So they were just like their head like finally started to grow upwards, which is weird. But yeah, they started to be described as that. And then as time even went more further along, that people started to think that these beings didn't really exist and that people were just seeing things. So as maps went on, they started drawing them. They just started changing the way they look until pretty much no one talked about them and they were just non-existent. So it's like, is there any theories as to like these things maybe did exist or they didn't exist or like what's the, were they being confused for something else? All right. There's three theories for these guys. The first theory that people suggest is that they were not humans, but more like aliens inhabiting the area. That's a lot of areas to inhabit. It is. And so the first one, like in the what Ethiopian Libya area, I've read it in a couple of descriptions form to where that area that they lived, creatures, animals and stuff were of bigger size. They were like all larger than what we usually see. So say like lions and stuff like that, they were of massive size. They said that these were aliens that lived in that area, I guess, overwatching things. But I don't really see that because, I mean, you see in the photos and stuff, they had bows and they looked very primitive. Yeah, you would think if they were aliens, they'd be, you know, they'd be having like TiVo hooked up and They'd have top-of-the-line stuff, not living in little huts and having spears and stuff, you know? Yeah, and wearing little loincloths. Yeah. So the next theory is that these were humans, but with a weird body modification. When a baby is born, they go and do a body, body modification to make their shoulders raise up higher than their actual heads, which makes their face and whatnot in their torso. And this actually happened. Like, there was actually tribes who did this. No, not that I found. Oh, okay. So I'm like, that's a weird body modification because I don't know how you would do that. Other than you cutting, like, your ribcage stuff and pushing shit down, which I highly doubt. Oh, good God. I hope they wouldn't do that to babies. Because that's where they said, like, it started is, like, when they were born, they would do this modification. And then as they get older, it just looks like that. I'm like, eh. So that was the second theory. Okay. The third one is probably the more realistic one, is that these beings wore a traditional garb and headdress, which might have confused explorers 
making it seem like they were headless, but yet they were just covering up their entire body. Oh, okay. It would make sense. They used a giant garb and headdress, which would make them look extremely tall, make their head look like it's in their stomach. Ah, okay. And honestly, that right there just seems more realistic to me, but I mean, there could be giants out there like this. Who knows? Well, why haven't we found any skeletons? Is the Smithsonian covering it all up? I mean, we know that they do, but yeah. But these type, I don't know. It was just very interesting to find that there's maps with these beings on there. There's supposedly stories of them in there, of these beings fighting in like battles and stuff. Because supposedly they were like very aggressive, it seems. But I mean, in these photos, most of them look pretty uh, passive. Okay. You know, I'm going to tell you a story, and it's going to connect to my theory real quick. All right. So back in the 40s, there was a tribe that lived in Papua New Guinea. This tribe, they were cannibals. The women and children were cannibals, not the men. So the men would go out and hunt. They would get the food, you know, like the pigs or the boars or whatever, bring it back. They would eat that meat. The women, however, and the children would eat the loved ones who had died. So, let's say for an example, a woman had her sister-in-law die, right? Mm-hmm. The women would gather up her body, pretty much fillet her, and the women and the children would eat her. This was a common practice for them, and they would save certain parts of the body, like they would cut off the uh, sexual organs. If it was a male, of course, they'd have a, a wiener, woman, vagina. They'd cut them off and they'd save them and give them to family members. And they're like, hey, here's your sister-in-law's vagina. Huh, thanks, dude. So yeah, the reason I say this is because some of the members of this tribe started to develop weird symptoms where they would start shaking and then they would progressively get worse to where they would die, end up just dying months later. And they had no idea what it was and they assumed it was a curse. Some researchers came in, saw this around this time. I think it was like in the 50s. They came in, started studying this tribe, and then they made a connection that the people who were dying were the people who were eating the humans, the women and children, were the only ones contracting this weird illness and dying from it. What it was, it's pretty much like mad cow disease is what they were getting. And it was just getting recycled from person to person, killing off this tribe slowly. So that made me think when I heard about the tribes being cannibals, let's assume they did exist, right? And they were cannibals. Maybe that's what happened to them. And they just killed themselves off unknowingly, thinking that, you know, maybe there's a curse on us. That's why we're dying off. So instead, we're going to keep moving down or moving around. And that's why so many people saw them. And they're like, we can't stop. This curse keeps coming after us, killing our people. And it's like, damn, well, you're freaking eating your Uncle Tom over here who's infected with these prions. And you got it in your blood now. And you're going to develop it and die. Damn. Maybe that's what happened. They just killed themselves off by eating one another. I mean, I saw a show, something like that. They ended up becoming cannibals and the flesh of the other human that they were eating would get pretty much bacteria, mold, all that stuff. And 
they think cooking it got rid of all of it, but it didn't. It just ended up just passing it on, and they just kept doing it over and over and over until there's pretty much almost no one left. Yep. They killed themselves unknowingly. I can see that, yeah. Good job, headless men. Anyways, I appreciate your topic today, Dan. It was a good one. I thought it was all right. It was short, but it intrigued me just because I've seen that figure, I guess, in a game. And I tried to see if there was like any connection between it, but there wasn't really much of a connection. Because in the game, the giants were like protectors of the town and stuff. And they would go off in all four directions, northwest, southeast kind of thing. And whenever the people needed help or all that stuff, they play a song and they come and help. But it was like the moon was going to crash into the town and you had to go around like saving the giants because they were put into sleep and shit. Okay. But they were protectors in this one. But there wasn't really much of a connection, just the way they looked, which kind of upset me. I was like, oh, there must be a connection or something. So I don't know if the, the creator of Legend of Zelda, he saw these things and thought it'd be cool to add into the game or he just made up something and it just looks like it. All right. Well, if you are a loved one, you are a blimmy yourself. You don't have a head. Or you've seen one. Or you have seen one, or you know where they live at. Send us an email. We'd like to hear from you. Aaron at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. Dan at theoriesofthethirdkind.com. We will travel to you and do an interview. Thank you. Boom. All right. Well, do you have anything else to add to your topic? That's all I got. Just that short, sweet description, history, and then a lot of photos. Nice. Well, thank you, Dan. Hope you all enjoy the photos, too, especially the ones that Aaron linked. I like those. I like that Nicolas Cage one. Nicolas Cage one's good. That must be his next role in the movie. Um, there was something I wanted to talk about before we ended the episode and moved on to our on the scene. I wanted to talk about a notable death that I didn't mention on my topic. Oh. And it's not a curse. It's just I was looking up notable deaths on movie sets and I came across this one and I'm like, damn, that's kind of messed up. So in 1967... There was a director named John Jordan who was working on the movie set of You Only Live Twice. Okay? Keep that in mind. So they were filming a section over the Japanese mountains and a helicopter blade, boop, severed John's leg off. So he immediately had to go to the hospital and doctors there in Japan reattached his leg but there was some complications and they had to take it back off and throw it away. So his leg was amputated. Following that, John, of course, who's the director, ended up getting into a B-25, which of course is a giant plane, and they were going to film another scene. So the B-25 takes off, goes way up into the air. It's starting to fly across the mountainside. And John tells them, hey, start filming this bombing scene. They were like, hey, you need to put on a safety harness. He's like, I don't give a shit about a safety harness. Film this scene. They opened up the door to start the filming. He gets sucked right out of the B-25 and off he goes and ends up dying. So, yeah, that's something I forgot to mention. Did he have a camera? Because I was say, did he get any good footage on the way? Oh, my God, Dan. No, he didn't have a camera. But, hey, the film was You Only Live Twice. And he had two choices. He had two chances. Well. He had one chance, and he ignored the second one. The Grim Reaper got him. So pretty much it was a, it was a pun. Yeah. And kind of like a Final Destination thing. You escape death once, but... When it has its grips on you, you can't escape it. Yeah. Anyways, if you or a loved one have been sucked out of a B-25 bomber, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. So that is the end of the episode this week. 
Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this Theories Thursday. We usually transition into our On the Scene, which is where we play a two-minute clip that gets submitted to us from listeners all across the world, and uh, they talk about current conspiracy happenings. However, we do not have one this week. So if you or a loved one would like to record an On the Scene, feel free to. You can take your phone, use it as a microphone, record the audio of you asking someone about their opinion on certain things, such as Bigfoot, aliens, whatever, you know, or you can give us your opinion about certain things. Just make sure the audio is less than two minutes long and make sure it is okay quality, okay? It doesn't have to be the best. Just make sure there's no, like, trains in the background or jackhammers. And also, please do not have music in the background of it. Otherwise, we cannot play it we will get copyrighted, and we don't want that. And if you want to help Aaron out even more, when you go to record, wait four or five seconds before you start talking. Yeah, don't even breathe. Don't even move your phone. Just press record and sit still. Don't even breathe. Hold your breath for five seconds. And then that gives me a good background stamp where I can take it and use that as a noise stamp to remove all the rest of the noise in your audio and make it sound crispy and clean. Boom. And that makes him so happy. Oh, it does. Absolutely. So anyways, um, if you have a on the scene you want to submit, just like I said, record it, send it to either me or Dan, and we will play it at the end of our show next week. And make sure to put as the subject title on the scene. Yes, it helps us out tremendously. All right, so now we're going to get into birthday shout outs. And for the first birthday shout out, I want to give to Kathleen Andrew. Their birthday was on November 6th. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, so the next birthday shout-out I want to give is to Ruby Riviera. It is on November 14th. Her husband, Brian, would like her to know that he loves her, he's so proud of her, and hopes that she has an amazing birthday. Happy birthday, Ruby. Happy birthday, Ruby. Ooh. All right, so the next birthday shout-out we're going to give is to Harley, and this is from her fiancé, Mike Gus. And her birthday was on November 3rd. So happy birthday to you. I hope it was good. Happy birthday, Harley. All right. This next birthday goes to Beatrice. It is on November 5th. Happy birthday to you. Love you. Happy birthday. Next birthday, shout out, goes to Brian Herrick. His birthday's November 13th. Happy birthday. I hope it's good. Happy birthday, Brian. Next birthday shout-out goes to Kennedy Edward. Birthday was on Halloween. They turned 12 years old. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kennedy. Next birthday shout-out goes to Gerardo Gutierrez. Gerardo. <laughs> Gerardo Gutierrez. Gutierrez. Giddy-up. Giddy-up, cowboy. It was on November 10th. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. All right, the last birthday shout-out I'm going to give is to Wit, and it is from Danielle. She says, happy birthday, bitch, and that's on November 8th. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Wit. Nice. All right, Dan, do you have any other birthday shout-outs? I have four. Oh, okay. All right, so first one is to Liz. Her birthday is on November 9th, and she wanted you to add a smooch. Liz, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Liz. Happy birthday, Liz. I hope you like that. The next birthday is to Daniel, not I, but to Daniel. His birthday was November 9th, and he wants 
a Darth Vader and Yoda voice happy birthday. So which one do you want? I want Yoda. All right, you got Yoda. I got Darth Vader. Mm, happy birthday to you. <sighs> Almost sound like freaking Bane over here. <sighs> Daniel, I am not your father. That, that doesn't sound like Darth Vader at all. <sighs> Daniel, that don't sound like Darth Vader at all. Yeah, you don't. That don't sound like Yoda either. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at those. Happy birthday. Hope yeah, it's happy good. birthday, Daniel. And then the next one is to Terrence Gilmore. His birthday was on November or is on November 11th. So happy birthday to Terrence. Happy birthday, Terrence. I used to know a guy named Terrence. Played football in middle school with him. His number was number 22 and he was fast. Anyway, happy birthday. Then the last one is to Jonathan Riviera. His birthday is on November 14th. So happy birthday to Jonathan. Happy birthday, Jonathan. Hope it was a good one. Love you. Bye. Bye. And that's the end of my birthday shout outs. Nice. All right. I got two shout outs I want to give real quick. I want to give a shout out to Johan Maya. Maya. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce your name, but here you go. Here's your shout out. Love you. Proud of you. Shout out. And then I want to give another shout out to the Reddit user Living Astronaut 2793. So three days ago, which would be five days ago when you're listening to this, they went on the Conspiracy Theory subreddit and commented. So somebody posted, podcast, are there any good podcasts that talk about conspiracy theories? And this livid astronaut person said, theories of the third kind. And then 13 people upvoted it. And then Logan the 20th said, bump. And then Yak Comprehensive said, my favorite. And then 4D4MGB said, definitely this. And then Batty the Saddy said, thank you. Always exciting to see a podcast I've never heard of. So yeah, thank you to all of you for promoting our podcast. It really helps us out, helps us grow, helps us spread the word. I appreciate it, seriously. Yes, thank you for that. And I'm proud of you. Much love. All right, uh, let's see. Do you have any other shout outs or anything you want to say before we roll this episode out, Dan? I have nothing. All right. Well, if for some reason you cannot get enough of us and you are not a Patreon member, then you can head over to our Patreon. You just go to patreon.com forward slash theories of the third kind. Or you can just go to theories of the third kind dot com. Click on the Patreon link. It takes you straight there. You can sign up, pay $5 a month. You'll get access to all 132 extra Patreon episodes. You will get emailed an exclusive RSS link that links up to your phone, allows you to listen to all the other Patreon episodes. And they're very good, and it's a lot of episodes. A lot of great stuff on there. Good stuff. And there's actually the new option. You can actually pay annually. Oh, yeah, we did add that. Hey, if you're Mr. Money in the Bags, right? You're Mr. Money in the Bank. You got, you're rolling in the dough. And you're like, I don't know if I want to you know, pay monthly. I'd just rather pay yearly and get it over with. You could pay the $60 and be done with it. Not even have to worry about it till next year. There you go, 60 bucks, and you get access to an episode every week, an extra episode every week. It's crazy. I think we've only missed one week so far. One week out of the 132, we've only missed one week. And we made it up because we released two episodes that following week. That's true. So there you go. We make it up to you, baby, and we love you, and we're providing your ear holes with stimulation. We want you to know that. So with that being said... I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing. Every single one of you. Without your support, we could not do this. And for that reason, I'm going to send Dan to where you are. And he's going to suck your toes. 
So with that being said, Dan, do you want to roll us out? I don't know. (laughs) Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. 